0: The passing of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI this morning. Let's talk about it on this Catholic corner. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to the Theory to Action podcast and to this special edition Catholic Corner. It is with very sad news that we hear of the passing of Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI this morning. His legacy is will be one of the finest thinkers and greatest minds in the church's history. Certainly over the past two centuries that he lived, most of the 20th century and a quarter of the 21st century. Catholics and non-Catholics alike have treasured his deeply theological writings. And for me, I have always treasured the way he began his pontificate after the passing of John Paul II, St. John Paul II. This was no easy task to have to fulfill the very big shoes of a much beloved John Paul II after some 26 years of his pontificate. And with Pope Benedict's first words upon reaching the balcony overlooking St. Peter's after his election as Pope, they were gracious stirring, and yet simple. I am a humble worker in the vineyard of the Lord, he said. What a great way to start a pontificate. Joseph Aloysius Ratzinger was a priest, advisor to the Second Vatican Council, bishop, cardinal, and then pope. The portrait of the man will surely be studied for years and centuries to come. But three things stuck out to me during his pontificate. First, that, boy, I and we have a lot to study of his works, his theological thinking, because like so many who have read widely and deeply of Pope Emeritus, he was rightly referred to by many experts as a modern-day doctor of the church. Now, granted, in the vast 2,000 years' history, of the Catholic Church, there's only been 35 doctors of the Church, so we would do well to drink deeply of this great writer and great thinker. Now, just one quote from his book, The Introduction to Christianity, which was widely used throughout many Catholic colleges, universities, and seminaries as a modern classic to accompany the learning of the beginnings of the faith. Go into to the book. Quote, since this work was first published, more than 30 years have passed in which world history has moved along at a brisk pace. In retrospect, two years seems to be particularly important milestones in the final decades of the millennium that has just come to an end. 1968 and 1989. The year 1968 marked the rebellion of a new generation which not only considered post-war reconstruction in Europe as inadequate, full of injustice, full of selfishness and greed, but also viewed the entire course of history since the triumph of Christianity as a mistake and a failure. These young people wanted to improve things at last to bring about freedom, equality, and justice. And they were convinced that they had found the way to this better world in the mainstream of marxist thought. The year 1989 brought the surprising collapse of the socialist regimes in Europe, which left behind a sorry legacy of ruined land and ruined souls. Anyone who expected that the hour had come again for the Christian message was disappointed. Although a number of believing Christians throughout the world is not small, Christianity failed at that historical moment to make itself heard as an epoch-making alternative. Basically, the Marxist doctrine of salvation, in several differently orchestrated variations, of course, had taken a stand as the sole ethically motivated guide to the future that was at the same time consistent with a scientific worldview. Therefore, even after the shock of 1989, it did not simply advocate. We need only to recall how little was said about the horrors of the communist gulag, how isolated Solzhenitsyn's voice remained. No one speaks about any of that. A sort of shame forbids it. Even Pol Pot's murderous regime is mentioned only occasionally in passing. But there was still disappointment. A deep-seated perplexity. People no longer trust grand moral promises. And after all, that is what Marxism had understood itself to be. Later on, he finalized this thought. That is why I'm firmly convinced that a renewal of Christology must have the courage to see Christ in all of, its, all of his greatness, as he is presented by the four Gospels together in the many tensions of their unity. If I had this introduction to Christianity to write all over again today, all of the experiences of the last 30 years would have to go into that text, which would then have to include also the context of irreligious discussions to a much greater degree than seemed fitting then. But I believe that I was not mistaken as to the fundamental approach and that I put the question of God and the question of Christ in the very center which then leads to a narrative christiology and demonstrates that the place for faith is in the church this basic orientation base, this basic orientation i think was correct that is why i venture to place this book once more in the hands of the reader today and again that was cardinal ratzinger writing in the year 2000 to the preface of the new edition to the introduction to Christianity. This book is a fantastic introduction to Christianity. goes through the Apostles' Creed, statement by statement, and really gives a brief synopsis. And Ratzinger's education really shines forth in this book, so I highly recommend it. Now, in fact, I just purchased... Peter Seawald's massive two volumes on Pope Benedict's life. And we'll be sharing that goodness in the months. And I'm sure in the years to come, the second item that struck me about Pope Benedict and his pontificate was his opening homily to his brother cardinals in the conclave that would eventually elect him. And he was perfectly spot on when he said this, Let's go to the speech. Quote, how many winds of doctrine have we known in recent decades? How many ideological currents? How many ways of thinking? The small boat of thought of many Christians have often been tossed about by these waves flung from one extreme to the other, from Marxism to liberalism, even to libertarianism, from collectivism to radical individualism. From atheism to a vague religious mysticism, from agnosticism to secretionism, and so forth. Every day new sects spring up, and what St. Paul says about human deception and the trickery that strives to entice people into error comes true. He references Ephesians 4.14. He goes on, today having a clear faith based on the creed of the church is often labeled as fundamentalism, whereas relativism, that is, letting oneself be, quote, tossed here and there, carried about by every wind of doctrine, seems the only attitude that can cope with modern times. We are building a dictatorship of relativism that does not recognize anything as definitive and whose ultimate goal consists solely of one's own ego and desires. We, however, have a different goal. The Son of God, the true man, he is the measure of true humanism. An adult faith is not a faith that follows the trends of fashion and the latest novelty. A matured adult faith is deeply rooted in friendship with Christ. It is in this friendship that opens us all up to all that is good and gives us a criterion by which to distinguish the true from the false and deceit from truth. We must develop this adult faith. We must guide the flock of Christ to this faith. And it is this faith and only faith that creates unity and is fulfilled in love. Wow. He correctly diagnosed the one overarching problem in the world, and that is a dictatorship of relativism. And finally, Pope Benedict XVI's lecture at Regensburg University in Germany, which touched, which touched on Islam, I was immediately struck that the Pope addressed world affairs and did so with great eloquence and brevity. He did so by correctly setting the table for any future discussions on faith across all religions in the 21st century. The title of the speech was faith reason in the university memories and reflections he had taught at this university before, but let's go to this speech because the Pope said this quote, and so I've come to my conclusion. This attempt painted with broad strokes at a critique of modern reason from within has nothing to do with putting the clock back to the time before the Enlightenment and rejecting the insights of the modern age. The positive aspects of modernity are to be acknowledged unreservedly. We are all grateful for the marvelous possibilities that it has opened up for mankind and for the progress in humanity that has been granted to us. The scientific ethos, moreover, is, as you yourself mentioned, magnificent rector, the will to be obedient to the truth, and as such, it embodies an attitude which belongs to the essential decisions of the Christian spirit. The intention here is not one of retrenchment or negative criticism, but of broadening our concept of reason in its application. While we rejoice in the new possibilities open to humanity, we also see the dangers arising from these possibilities, and we must ask ourselves how we can overcome them. We will succeed in doing so only if reason and faith come together in a new way, if we overcome the self-imposed limitation of reason to the empirically falsifiable, and if we once more Disclose its vast horizons. In this sense, theology rightly belongs in the university and within the wide-ranging dialogue of sciences, not merely as a historical discipline and one of the human sciences, but precisely as theology, as inquiry into the rationality of faith. Only thus do we become capable of of that genuine dialogue of cultures and religions so urgently needed today. Again, Pope Benedict addressed squarely the most fundamental question put before the world and across the, B, the big three religions of faith, namely those religions who call the God of Abraham, who they claim to worship. He asked that question of us And of them, quote, what's the role of reason and the human relationship as it interacts with this covenant of faith? We would all do well to study this lecture many times and understand the consequences. What the Pope's question is, he put to the world. Joseph Ratzinger's life was pivotal as he was guided by the Holy Spirit in his own spirit of service. As he himself said upon his election as the two hundred and sixty-fifth successor to the Apostle Peter, I am a humble worker in the vineyard of the Lord. May God be merciful in his judgment and bring Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, Joseph Aloysius Ratzinger, bring him to a place of refreshment and light whereupon he may glorify the Lord for all eternity. May God rest his soul in peace. And may God bless you, Joseph Aloysius Ratzinger. Thank you for joining us.